1: Brittany and I
0: are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis,
1: or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we are back to talk about
0: disability and ableism. In the last episode, we learned about various definitions of disability, and we really took the time to break down the ADA Assessment Criteria for Disability, or the Americans with Disabilities Act Assessment Criteria for Disability, which we hope that you found helpful. As a reminder, the ADA defines a person with disability as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activity. Today, we want to talk about identifying as disabled. We want to talk about internalized ableism, one of our favorite topics, and something that we have, Brittany and I both have very, very deep inside of us running through our veins. We also want to talk about invisible disability, the social versus the medical model of disability, and language around
1: disability. In our next episode, we're actually going to talk even further about ableism as well. And I did want to include that, like in all of our episodes, Amy and I are speaking about our own experiences and our relationship to ableism and disability, specifically in this episode. And our experiences are not the experience of all of the disabled community, as we are not one monolith of a group. Everybody has different experiences and relationships to what their identity is and is not. We have a lot to cover because this is a huge topic, so we're going to jump right in.
0: In reference to the last episode where we went into great depth on the definition of disability under the ADA criteria, you know, when I first learned about this criteria and this assessment for disability, and then I applied it to my own case and my own life with endometriosis, it made me realize that I have a disability. And that empowered me to ask my work for accommodations, which is the reason why I was learning about the definition. In the first place, is because I wanted to know what rights I have as a person with endometriosis, a person with chronic pain, a a person with fatigue, a person with you know these conditions that do substantially limit my life activities. And hearing the ADA assessment and having my doctor fill out the form, which we talked about in great length, it gave me the confidence that I needed to decide to identify as dynamically disabled, but. Even so, like, even seeing it on paper and seeing that endometriosis impairs me in so many ways and really thinking about my own individual case and saying, like, yes, yes, all of this applies to me, I still feel kind of uncomfortable saying that I'm dynamically disabled. And, I, you know, that comes from my internalized ableism, and that's where I want to talk about this today, because why do I feel uncomfortable saying that I'm disabled, and why do I feel like I'm not disabled enough? And I don't qualify to use that term. There's a lot of reasons for that. And a lot of it is around the judgment that I have towards myself and the fear of judgment and criticism from other people.
1: Nobody is allowed to determine for a person whether or not an identity applies to them. This includes the identity of disabled or dynamically disabled, however you choose to identify. None of us get to decide how extreme is extreme enough to be considered disabled. None of us get to decide, well, how much are their life functions actually impaired and is that enough for them to be disabled? We don't get to decide that for other people, and other people don't get to decide that for us. That is a personal decision that we make based on our own life experiences. Well, and I think there is criteria, and if we fit the
0: criteria, then why are we questioning ourselves still? And why are we letting other people question us and you know other people just love to have opinions they're just going to comment and comment and question but then why are we letting well when i say we i mean i because i don't want to speak for anyone else but why am i letting the questioning another person well you don't look sick enough well you don't look disabled enough why am i taking that and then feeling like a fraud and an imposter when i know that for half the month i literally can't get out of bed when i know that i couldn't hold a job a few years ago because my endo symptoms were so bad When I know that I've been suffering with endo for 19 years now, when it's limited so many of my opportunities and my dreams. So why am I still feeling like, oh, well, I am not disabled enough to say that I'm disabled or I'm not sick enough to say that I'm sick?
1: What is wrong with me? (laughs) What is wrong (laughs) with me? We'll cover what's wrong with you, which is called internalized ableism, a little bit later in the episode. So we wanted to ask this question to you all, and I think it's a difficult question to answer, and I don't expect you to be able to answer right away, neither does Amy. It could be that listening to these episodes, you may be able to come to your own decision, or it may take you a little bit longer, and your decision may be different than the decision that I and Amy make. But our question is, do you identify as disabled? We're all so individual, as we often say on this podcast. Every person is different, and how things work in our bodies is different and how treatment options work for our bodies is different. So even if we have a condition like endometriosis that severely and substantially can impair any one of or multiple of our life activities, we can identify as disabled, but we also don't have to. That is a choice that's up to us. If you feel like the criteria that we mentioned fits you and spoke to you and you agree With all of the parts of your life activities that are majorly impacted, do you feel comfortable identifying as disabled? Yes and no, (laughs) (laughs) as
0: we've established.
1: Yes, I think it's a complex thing. I think that's very complex, and especially with chronic illness. With some disabilities, the term disability is put on a person and other people tell them that they are disabled. With chronic illness, it's often difficult because that label is not applied to us in the same way. It's often a label that we either decide for ourselves or we don't. It's not the same experience that other folks with different disabilities may have. I think a lot of this comfort level or even the exploration of looking at this as a label or part of our identities has a lot to do with our comfort level with disability in general and also with our ableism and internalized ableism. Our beliefs about disability and unpacking or unlearning and relearning certain things may also play a huge part in whether or not we feel like the word disability fits how we feel and how we are.
0: I recognize that I have a dynamic disability, but then I just feel like this kind of fraud imposture if I say that I'm disabled. Like if it were to come up and I would say, I'm disabled, like I I don't have that comfort level yet or that confidence level yet. So it's something that I'm personally still working towards is feeling more comfortable. Because I don't know, I just I feel like I always have to prove myself. And maybe many of you with chronic illness feel a similar way, but I think that for me throughout my adolescence and you know, my 20s and now my 30s, it's like, I'm the sick one of the family. I'm the sick one of my friend group. I'm that quote unquote, weirdo with a special diet or, you know, I'm the noticeably different one who when I go away with a group of friends to spend a weekend somewhere, I'm the one who has literally two suitcases and a huge, huge foam that I bring with me so that I can sleep because my body hurts so bad if I don't sleep on a very soft surface. So, none of that makes me weird, and none of that makes me less than or inadequate, but as we know, people love to comment, people love to judge, "Oh my God, what are you eating? Oh, what's that foam for? You know you're only going away for a weekend. People love to put forth their comments or say things like, "Oh, you're my sick friend," or i don't know anyone who's sick as often as you. People make these unwanted, uninvited comments that that then Begin to convince us that we're less than or we're inadequate or we're a bother when that's not true. But it can be really hard to stand in our truth and to find our self confidence and find our self worth when other people who don't understand what it's like to have a disability or to have a chronic illness are continually having negative attitudes and biases and prejudices and comments
1: towards us. I got a little bit of deja vu when you said you feel like you have to prove yourself because I feel like we've discussed this when it comes to pain. (laughs) And we've had this conversation about how we don't have to prove our pain to other people. We don't have to make them believe that our pain is as severe as it is. We know how severe it is. And this is the same kind of thinking. We don't have to prove to other people how severe and how impacted our major life activities are they just are because that's our experience and and that's the truth
0: yeah but it's so hard because when people are making those comments and it's like well clearly you don't believe me and they're denying the reality of your lived experience and on top of that they're telling you that you're fine and you're normal or you should be quote-unquote normal and i don't know just they're making you feel like Like you don't belong, like you're doing something wrong. Like whenever I bring my foam with me, I just prepare my sleeping foam, my big, huge sleeping foam. I'm preparing myself for the inevitable laughter, comments, cruel jokes. Oh, you're so posh if you need that. Oh, you're really high maintenance. Oh, wow, you're needy, aren't you? People attach all kinds of judgments to the things that we do. And it, and it's hard. It's hard because we live in this ableist society where people don't have understanding and empathy. The majority of people don't have understanding and empathy and compassion. And they just see something different and like, oh, my God, that's different. Let's all get together and point and laugh a bit. <laughs> She's different. And it hurts. It hurts. So it hurts. And then I'm just like, I have to prove to everyone that I'm in pain and that I really am disabled and that I really have substantial limitations to my life activities and I really can't eat gluten when I say I can't eat gluten then you sound, okay this is really bad but one time I cannot burp right and so when I have anything fizzy I get really nauseous and I was in college and I was like 19 and people like I can't believe that you can't burp I've never met anyone who can't
1: burp and I, and I have met more
0: people who can't burp
1: My family used to joke that I was going to explode one day because I never burped. So I I can't (laughs) burp.
0: When people burp, it really grosses me out because I can't do it. It makes
1: me my gag reflex, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have an empathetic gag reflex. Usually when I burp, I'm about to vomit. Yeah. So anyway, I can't burp. So then I've avoided all these gassy foods and things that would normally cause a person to burp, it was just even the word "burp" was gross. So we're just going to stop now saying Ugh. saying that word. My point is, they were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe i have n- I mean, I've never met anyone who can't do that. You know what? Do that action. <laughs> so prove it to us." And I was like, "Fine, I'll prove it to you." Okay, hello. This oh, is no. how bad it's. It this is how bad recipe this, for disaster. The self-worth is over here in my case, and so then I chugged a soda. Oh no! And then I was just sitting there, like, "Come on, you're gonna do it." And I was like. I even had my mouth open. I was like waiting, but the gas was so bad. So after like twenty minutes, I was like, "Yep, I have to go." And I had to go leave the party I was at because I was so sick now because I chugged the soda, Aww. which I never drink. Plus, I don't drink sugar drinks. So I was all like, "I have oh, to go. No. I, I am full. Of, I have my sugar <laughs> high and double bad. I have to pee really bad for my IC and I can't burn, probably going to puke I'm, later. <laughs> and I'm super nauseous." And then Aww. I and then I left, and I still remember that because I now I'd be like, "What was wrong with me?" But I don't know that that need that feeling of being an imposter being a fraud being not good enough and wanting people to understand your truth at least for me it's really strong
1: when well, i think in one of those contributing factors is something we're going to talk a lot about today the basis of today's episode is is that ableism because our society has a picture of what a disabled person looks like and to be 100 percent frank with you That picture, that vision that society tells us, it is 100% ableist. Because here's the thing. There are many people that you may envision in your head if you picture a variety of what you may consider disabled people. And the vision that you have in your head, if those were real people, they may not identify as disabled. There are many communities and cultures that exist within our world that you may consider to be a disabled person, but they would not consider themselves that way. Whereas you may not consider somebody to be disabled who actually is. So the point is, is that it's not up to us to decide what is or is not disabled or is not disabled. It's up to the person and the community, and we can't apply those labels to people. And folks who ask those questions and point the finger and act as if it's not really valid are just operating under ableism, and they have not unpacked what it means to be ableist yet. And maybe they will. Maybe they won't. but we're now internalizing that and applying it to ourselves when we don't have to.
0: Can I go back and just shove a can of soda up all of their butts?
1: Yes. <laughs> I'll invent time travel just so you can do I'll be that. like, hey, have you heard of ableism? <laughs> and they're like,
0: no. And I'm like, here, bend over. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I think has helped me a lot is realizing that identifying as disabled doesn't take anyone else off the list. Like it's not like there's a limit. A cap to the people in the world who can identify as disabled. And if I also identify as disabled, then I'm taking a spot from someone else. So there is room for me to identify as disabled. And I think that has been really vital for me to recognize and understand is that there's room for me in this community. And this has helped me connect with a whole group of people who are disabled. And that has helped me feel supported and understood. In aspects of my life that until now I just have not felt understood in, because I haven't known other people who are chronically ill or who are disabled. Many of the people around me, like in my physical life, my coworkers, my family, they're operating from an ableist mindset, an ableist narrative, and it has been so nice to connect with other people like me and hear their voices and hear and their opinions and their criticism of ableism. And that is helping me unpack my own journey with my illness and with ableism and
1: internalized ableism. Something else that we wanted to touch on was language and the way that we identify and the language that we use to identify ourselves or introduce ourselves, perhaps. There's two ways that people typically use for language. So they're called person first or identity first. Those are the two ways. Person first would be saying something like, I'm a person with a disability. Whereas identity first would be saying something like, I'm a disabled person. Both of these language styles are completely valid and 100% up to each individual person. And while styles and language change over time, sometimes it seems like most people may be using identity first. Other times it may seem like most people are using person first. It doesn't matter what the trend is or what most people are doing. All that matters is what you want to do and how you want to identify. And that could be very specific, like saying, I am a person with a disability. Or you may feel more comfortable saying, I'm disabled. Either way, totally valid. Either way, totally your choice. What is
0: not valid is other people telling you what you need to say. Correct. When you're like, hi, I'm a disabled person. They're like, no, you're a person with a disability. Correct.
1: People cannot tell you which language style you want to use. That's 100% up to you. And different communities do it differently. In some communities, it's very strong identity first. And in some communities, it's very strong person first. But even with that existing, those communities still recognize and should recognize that anybody can identify how they want to. So don't let people tell you what you can and can't say in terms of your own identity. Oh, my gosh. I think we're learning
0: this episode that the
1: opinions of other people don't matter. (laughs) Don't
0: matter. But can I internalize that? idea that the opinions of other people don't matter. Hopefully by the end of this episode, I can. But I think it's lifelong work. Yes. (laughs) To talk about internalized ableism for a bit, let's give a quick definition of ableism. So this is off the top of my head, but we are going to give a longer, a more official definition from people who are way smarter than us in our two-part series on ableism. So stand by for a more official definition, but in my own words, I would say that ableism is basically biases, stereotypes, negative attitudes, prejudices, and discrimination in society against people who don't fit into the made-up societal ideas, the societal norms about, you know, what is quote-unquote normal. So what is the quote-unquote normal body, the quote-unquote Normal mind. And by normal, meaning like all these things, like wrapped up in, you know, being productive and being ideal. And so the people who aren't as quote unquote able, who aren't as able bodied, are seen as less valuable. They're valued less. And so ableism affects disabled people, but it also affects people who. Aren't disabled because it's this idea about who was valuable in society. And as you can imagine, internalized ableism is when we as disabled people internalize ableism. And so we go ahead and we internalize the biases and the negative attitudes and prejudices in society against disabled people. And we internalize that. And we oftentimes turn those negative attitudes towards ourselves. And I think we all have. A level of internalized ableism. And some of us may have more internalized ableism than others. Some of us may be actively unpacking our internalized ableism. For some of us, this is the first time we've even heard of internalized ableism. And we just want you to know that wherever you are in this spectrum of internalized ableism, that is very natural and very normal. How can we not have internalized the ideas that society has towards people with chronic illness, towards people with disability. How could we not have internalized that when it is so prevalent and so ubiquitous in our society, when the messaging that we are getting constantly, constant messaging is really, really negative and false, although society doesn't see it as false, but we know it is false. These negative but false views of disabled people and chronically ill people. And I think we hear this all the time. We hear all the time people say things like, you're too young to be sick, or you're too young to be disabled. Well, you don't look sick. Oh, you don't look disabled. And they say it to you with like such an accusing tone, like, well, you're too young to be
1: sick. Such disdain. Like it's the most disgusting, deplorable thing they've ever heard. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize there was a minimum age amount. And I didn't realize that affected you so much that you had to be so vocal about it. So vile. Oh, well, you don't look sick.
0: Ooh. Like, you don't oh. look
1: nice. Goodbye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm sick or I'm disabled. I'm like, well, you're only sick sometimes. Like,
1: wow. Okay. Or you can hear, well, yeah, you said you're sick, but at least you don't have X, Y, Z, fill in the blank of something they consider to be more severe. Cancer, oftentimes. hmm So it's really, really hard
0: because we are hearing those messages a lot and we are hearing other people's judgments people just want to give their opinions they do not know how to keep their opinions to themselves not just on social media where that problem is really bad but in life in in our workplaces among our family among our friends among strangers when we go out places like oh why do you need to rest you're so young what what do you mean you're fatigued You look like you're 20. How are you fatigued? I don't understand. You try being 50, then you'll really be fatigued. I wasn't
1: fatigued when I was 20. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but you're you and I'm me. Hello. Have you not noticed?
0: So we want to touch on this for a minute is I think for me in my own case and maybe for many of you, having an invisible illness and having an invisible disability has presented challenges, And, of course, disability and illness in itself present many different kinds of challenges. (laughs) Challenges. It's actually,
1: I like that. Challenges. Sounds like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Challenges.
0: (laughs) We're tired today. We're tired. We did a lot
1: yesterday, okay? We really did.
0: Many different kinds of challenges. And with invisible disability, I feel like one of the challenges for people who have invisible disability or invisible illness is that other people don't believe your reality that you're experiencing. And so they give a lot of judgment, a lot of disdain, a lot of scornful looks and raising their eyebrows and disbelief and making you feel like you need to prove something to them because they just like flat out don't believe you. And that's evidenced by their comments. Well, you don't look sick. Thank you. Oh my gosh! Thank you. You're right. I'm not sick. If you don't look sick, you're not sick. I mean, I'm not. Oh oh my gosh! Now I understand. You have to look it to be it. Oh, dress for the job you want. Wow. (laughs) Well, you don't look like a Uranus, but you are (laughs) are. one. (laughs) You don't look like
1: my friend anymore. (laughs) And you're not one. Goodbye. I touched on this a little bit before, but one of the biggest issues with this matter is what society has told us disability looks like. And when many people picture a disabled person, they may picture a person who uses a wheelchair, or they may picture somebody who is unable to be mobile on their own. That's typically the first or default that most members of society see. But even within that, there's so many different facets of what a person using a wheelchair could have in terms of their own accessibility. There's no one-size-fits-all even for a person who uses a wheelchair. Some people are ambulatory. Some people can take one step. Some people can take none. Some people can walk up a stair. Some people cannot. Even within that one subset of mobility, there's thousands of different ways that a person could use a mobility assistive device or could not. So even when we have this picture in our mind of what a disabled person quote-unquote looks like, we still don't intimately understand what it means for them to live in their life and what it means for them to exist in the world and have to navigate through the world. We can't know 100% every detail of what their experience is like, just like nobody can for us. But we make assumptions about people based on how things present. So for us, we see a person in a wheelchair and we may make, we may make all these assumptions about them that could be 100% incorrect. Just like when a person looks at us and makes all these assumptions about us and what we do or do not have, which could also be 100% incorrect. Not everybody who uses disability parking has a mobility need. Not every person who's disabled is disabled in the realm of mobility. There are several different categories that disabilities fall under, and chronic illness is one of them. So an invisible disability can also not be chronic illness. It can be many other types of disability. But because society has kind of relegated what it thinks disability means to one visual cue, it means that it's a struggle for everybody else who doesn't fall under that cue. And a struggle for people that do to explain how their breadth and experience is not what the person is making an assumption that it is.
0: I think the most important word that you said there is assumptions. People have so many assumptions about other people. There are so many stereotypes that have been fed to us by the media because of assumptions and stereotypes there are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings around disabled people or people with chronic illness there are just so 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 many assumptions and it just needs to stop i just can't stand how people take a look at other people and just like size them up and are like oh okay, well, you have XYZ or you look XYZ. So somehow I think I know about your experience. And then they get closed off to actually interacting with other human beings and learning about their experience. How wonderful would it be if instead of when we said, let's just go with something really simple, like, oh, I don't eat gluten because it makes me sick. How about instead of the assumption that I'm some posh, whatever i'm making it up to seem cool or special it's a fad and that can't be real how about taking a second to when i say oh i don't eat gluten because it makes me sick saying oh wow that must be really hard because gluten is in almost everything wow wouldn't that be such a different experience than being ridiculed and practically bullied for not eating certain food groups for example wouldn't it be wonderful if when i say yeah, I have a chronic illness. Instead of the first thing hearing is, "You're too young to have that," or "You don't look sick," saying, "Wow, it must be really hard to have a chronic illness." I can't even imagine that. Wouldn't that open up such a different energy and such a different conversation, and real chance for understanding each other and for compassion, and maybe for fighting against this thing called
1: ableism instead of fighting it with each other? People, for some reason, get really defensive, and all of these. Retorts are examples of people getting defensive when you share something about yourself and how you live and your disability with them. And I'm not sure why people get so defensive and why the the response is so angry. Maybe because of the medical model of disability, they all
0: subconsciously believe that people with disabilities are trash. And then you're like, oh, I have a disability. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking to a piece of trash right now? Ew, stinky. <laughs> my viewpoint's completely different. Wow, I swear you didn't smell before you said you had a disability. But now that you did, I'm like, oh, get me out of
1: here. Get some, get, get some air freshener around her, please. <laughs> well, you know, I think there is actually some truth to that. But I don't think it's for the reason that you said queen trash. I think it's more of the fact that when you talk about having a disability, the automatic default is to that you have a need. And people who do not have needs in certain in this same aspect of their lives somehow assume that there is a pie and it's limited. And if you have a need, then it takes away from what they could possibly receive. And so by diminishing and doubting and dismissing what you have, that means that you'll take up less of the limited pieces of pie. But that's not the truth. Just because I need a ramp to get into the museum doesn't mean that I'm going to take away all of the stairs for everybody else. That's not how it works. It's an addition, not a subtraction. And if you did, who cares? Why do we need stairs? Why can't we just use ramps? Yeah, then other people can unless use people the ramp. want to work
0: their butt out and then maybe they could have a stair where they go up
1: <laughs> up the stair and a small a amount of stairs. <laughs> But I think that might be why people get so defensive, because they automatically assume that if you have a disability, you need something that takes away from something I already have, and that's part of the medical model, saying, "Well, you need all these things in order for you to be a functional member of society." You burden, you, in, you
0: inconvenience, <laughs> you bother. And, why? Do, why do you exist? You're and, so bothersome.
1: I don't know. My critic asks me that all the time. <laughs> I think that all the time already. I don't need you saying it too. But that's not true. But I think a good response that I've kind of been thinking about over the last few years is when receiving those dismissive phrases, instead of defaulting to, well, I really am sick or anger or proving, it's more like, what's it to you? <laughs> like, what, why does it bother you that I have a chronic illness? Why does it bother you that I can't eat gluten? And it's actually confronting that person's knee-jerk reaction and having them maybe for a moment evaluate why they feel that way Why do you feel I'm too young to have a chronic illness? Well, because people your age just don't, but I do. So why do you feel like you have to say that? And they probably won't have a response because these are societally conditioned thoughts. It's not a thought that a person woke up one day and said, I've done all this critical thinking, and now I think that no people of a certain age bracket have chronic illness. That's not how it works. These are things that are taught to us by society, and often people haven't thought about how harmful they are or how untrue they are. And just getting them to maybe think about them can help us think about it, but is maybe a good way to respond rather than trying to spend our energy proving to them why they're wrong. Okay,
0: well, Queen Trash wants to say something over here is that I agree for some people it's definitely a knee-jerk reaction, but I also think for some people they truly believe that we're just less than and Absolutely. We are going to go into that in our episode on ableism. And so I think something that is really powerful is when people get in your face and they just like want you to chug a whole can of soda so you can prove because they want You know what they wanted. They wanted me to chug the soda so that then I would burp and they'd be like, ha, you lied to us. You can
1: burp. They wanted to prove me wrong. Right. It's yes. like this innate. They wanted to prove that you're actually the same as them and you're just faking it for attention. Maybe, I don't know, but it's this
0: innate need to prove me wrong or to prove us wrong or to prove that what we're living is not what we're living and what they think we're living is the truth, right? It's this like weird control and anger and hatred and- Don't
1: lift my veil. I must prove that my veil
0: is actually (laughs) the reality. It's like all these really weird things put together. And something that I think is so powerful and so, so hard to do, sounds so simple, but it is so difficult, is- when a person comes at me now and they're just like, well, you don't look sick. And then I just go, I just shrug and go, OK. And I walk away. And they're like, hey, what? Because they want to engage. They want to argue. They want to fight. They want me to have some retort. And then they're going to have some retort. And then I, and that's what they want. And I'm like, no, I don't have energy for you.
1: My battery is drained, baby. Because I'm sick. <laughs> OK. So I don't have
0: to waste my energy on a Uranus like you.
1: No. And you are not, as a person with a disability, required to shoulder the burden of educating others? Absolutely, you are not required. If you choose to have the conversation with somebody that you think it's worth putting the effort in, like a family member or a friend, then that's your choice. But you are not required to shoulder the burden of educating every single ableist person out there. And please don't feel like I was trying to say that because I was not. Oh, no, I didn't think you
0: were trying to say that. But you
1: can choose to, 100% your choice, like everything else in this podcast.
0: (laughs) I want to have quick story time with Amy because I want to tell about... It's my favorite time
1: of the episode, story time with Amy.
0: (laughs) Yay. Well, this is about this is a story about having invisible illness and invisible disability and a challenge that it posed for me, and then all of the guilt and the self-criticism that I had after this situation passed. But basically I had taken a flight and it was a 10 hour flight and I actually had like seven more hours to go. So when I lived in Japan, I was going from Japan to Morocco, which was really far. And after like a 10-hour flight, we arrived in Turkey and the airline was putting us up. So I knew about this layover that was part of the flight is that you would have a stop in Istanbul. The airline would pick you up on a shuttle and take everyone on that flight to a hotel that they actually paid for. And you would stay in the hotel for the night. And the next day they would take you back for the next leg of your flight, which is really convenient. But at the time, that was like 10 years ago, so I was probably like 26, and I didn't know that I had endometriosis, I didn't know that I had a disability, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the heck was wrong with me, I just, in my mind, I was, you know, inadequate and at fault, and I was a horrible person, and that's why I was sick, and why couldn't I just be normal, and I didn't measure up in all those horrible things that we can sometimes think about ourselves, and so that's where I was at, emotionally. We were waiting in line to check in at the front desk of the hotel. And there was a woman, and she had a baby, and she was like, maybe at the end of the line, like 10 people back. And so she was asking people, oh, my baby's really fussy. Can I go in front of you? And everyone was saying, yeah, please go in front, please go in front, and letting her go in front of them. I had waited in line, and I was I was going to be the next person that was called to check him. I had just come off a 10-hour flight, plus the waiting time that you're in the airport waiting for your flight, plus the time that it took waiting in the airport in Istanbul for the shuttle to pick you up, plus the time waiting. So it already, you know, left my house like 15 hours ago. We crossed, I don't know how many time zones. I'm not able to eat on an airplane or in the airport because of all of my intolerances with food. So I had not eaten in 15 hours. Airplanes make me super sick. I throw up on the airplane. I have horrible gas on the airplane, which is A major problem because you're sitting in your seat and like every twenty minutes I have to have really foul gas and so I have to get up and go to the bathroom because I want to be considerate to the people I'm sitting next to. By the time you go to the bathroom and pass your gas and come back and sit in your seat, you have more gas and it's just like
1: never-ending cycle.
0: Traveling in an airplane is Brittany knows is one of my most hated things that I do and is one of my most uncomfortable experiences that causes my biggest flares. So I was standing at the counter 15 hours into this journey about to collapse. Like I was falling apart and my period was supposed to come in the next day. So I was hardcore struggling and I was in a lot of pain because with endometriosis with fibromyalgia when you're squished in an airplane seat for 10 hours, I mean, I'm talking I was crawling out of my skin from the amount of pain that I was in when this woman with her baby came to me and she was like, oh, can I go in front of you? I just said, no, I'm sorry. And then I looked at the ground. And the thing is, I wasn't saying no, she couldn't go in front of me because I was a horrible, selfish, young, young person that couldn't recognize that, you know, she had her child and she had needs. But I was dealing with my own struggle and with my own needs of my body in that moment. And The thing is, I didn't have the language or even the knowledge at that time to know that I had a chronic illness, to know that I had a disability. All I knew was that if I let her go in front of me, I might crumple to the floor and they may end up calling an ambulance. So I was holding myself together with every single ounce of myself. If it was now and I I was in that situation and the woman came up and said, Can I go in front of you? I probably would have said something like, I'm really sorry because I can see that you're struggling with your child, but I'm I'm actually struggling too. I have an invisible disability, and I need to get to my room as soon as possible, so I'm not able to let you go in front of me because it's, it's a dire situation for me too. But I couldn't say that at the time because I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the language, so all I could say was no no, sorry. And then look at the ground because I was so mortified and so embarrassed because I felt like I was doing something super wrong. Like I was a horrible, horrible human being. And then people in the line were going, oh my God, they're muttering to themselves like, oh, young people are so selfish. And (laughs) then I went to my room, I checked in, everyone was giving me the evil dagger eyes, you know, and I checked in, I went to my room and I just had this breakdown from everything. Of course, the physical exertion, the hunger, the lack of sleep, the pain, But then also feeling like I was a terrible human being. And then with those feelings come, I'm such a terrible person. No wonder why I'm sick. This is my fault. I deserve to be sick. And then that whole spiral of, it's my fault that I'm sick. And so that's my little story about a situation where my invisible disability was present, but other people didn't know that. That's what I was struggling with. In their mind, I was just some young girl who was traveling around who just was really rude and she didn't want to let some mother and a baby go in front of her because she was so rude and selfish. And that stayed with me for a really long time. I mean, it's been 10 years and that situation still sticks with me. It stuck with me because I felt so guilty about not letting her go in front of me and being a horrible person. But now it sticks with me because I realize I'm not a horrible person. In that moment, I had very real, dire, extreme needs, but I wasn't able to express that to her and to the other people in line. And so now when I think back on that situation, I think about ways I could have communicated better, ways that I can communicate in the future. And that's something that I'm really trying to do for myself is that because I'm a person who has an invisible disability, most times it looks invisible unless i'm like hunched over in pain you know crawling down the sidewalk but most times my my disability is invisible my sickness is invisible and so i feel that i want to become much better at succinctly speaking about my condition in a limited number of words so i don't ramble on and on and on right but i want to be able to talk about my condition in a way that other people can understand why i need the accommodation that I need or why I'm making the decision that I'm making and have a little more of compassion and empathy with each other.
1: I know you mentioned that you felt really guilty and a lot of shame for so doing what you guilty. did. <laughs> so ashamed. But I actually think even to that young, scared Amy, that it was rather brave, actually. And the reason I say that before you go, Whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> is because For the first time, and one of the few times at that age where you were still trying to grapple with everything, you put your own needs first. And I think as people with invisible disabilities and people who struggle with symptoms that are often not extremely screaming to the people around us, we often hide how we're feeling at the expense of ourselves in order to put somebody else's needs first. And the term for that that's commonly used is masking, whereas we hide what we're actually feeling or how we actually operate to make other people feel more comfortable or to make other people happier at the expense of ourselves. And in that moment, you didn't do that. You put yourself first. And it's hard to do that, especially in this society and especially with an invisible disability. But it's important to recognize that putting yourself first didn't mean that you were doing something horrendous to the other people around you, whereas putting yourself second could have actually done undue harm to you. It's a really tricky space that we have to navigate. Sometimes we don't feel psychologically safe or physically safe to show how we're feeling, and sometimes we hide how we're feeling to make others around us feel comfortable. And it takes a lot of work to be who we fully are and to show how we fully feel and not have to always hide that from people. And that's just one of the things that comes along with an invisible illness.
0: If I had had a visible disability, I don't think I would have been met with the same outrage of saying no to the person because other people then would have looked and said, oh, well, look at that girl online. She needs to check in quickly too because, you know, she can barely stand. She's shaking. She is on crutches, et you know etc. Or she has a mobility device or she has XYZ. So it's the fact that they don't understand and they don't know what I'm going through that they just make that assumption that I'm perfectly normal. I'm just a healthy, young person. And because I'm young, I'm super healthy, right? So of course, I should let someone else go in front of me because I have that stamina to wait in line a little bit longer. But what they didn't know is that I didn't. I was barely, barely holding on
1: I think one of the other components to having an invisible disability or an invisible disease is that we can often have these really contrasting and contradictory feelings about our illness and disease. Things like, I'm not sick enough, but then I need these accommodations in order to function in my daily life, or people have it worse.
0: People are sicker than I am, so I should just suck it up and remember that I don't have it that bad. But then the conflicting feelings of, I'm really sick and I can't keep up with society and my peers. I can't perform in the workplace or in the school place like my peers. I'm a failure. I'm not
1: where they are, but I should be. Yeah, in one moment we think, I'm definitely sick. And then the next moment, well, maybe I'm not that sick. And in one moment, wow, I clearly am disabled. And the next moment, okay, maybe I'm not disabled. And we have these headbutting feelings which cause us. To have this gray area, this gray line that we live on, because we're constantly questioning ourselves which one is my reality? Which one is the truth? And the truth is that it's up to you which one is the truth, which is not an easy conclusion to come to. But because of the way that endometriosis works specifically, there can be moments in which we feel better and moments in which we feel worse. But that doesn't change the level at which we operate on the average or on the normal basis. And it can be really hard to not feel like you're claiming something that maybe you shouldn't, because society often tells us as people with invisible illnesses that we can't possibly be telling the truth. And so we internalize some of that when that's not the truth. What we feel about ourselves is the truth. Well, and just
0: because we feel good enough to do XYZ activity today, that doesn't negate the fact that yesterday we couldn't do it. Or maybe that next week, we're not gonna be able to get out of bed for a week. And so, feeling good in some moments doesn't take away from the fact or cancel out the fact that we don't, we feel really, really
1: bad in other moments. I think one of the reasons why we have those feelings is because internalized ableism. Yes, that is definitely one of them. And because also we live in a comparative society where we're always comparing ourselves to our neighbor. I mean, keeping up with the Joneses is. A commonly known phrase for many people. And what we do as people with illnesses is we compare ourselves to others with our illnesses. And then others who don't have illness. <laughs> yes. And others who don't like, have illness. Oh,
0: I'm, I'm not sick enough. Or like, oh, wow. I'm not as I'm sick s- as
1: that person. Or if I were just like them, then my life would be so much better because they don't have X, Y, Z to deal with. We do this comparison game all the time, not just with illness, but also with so many other aspects of our self and our self worth. So triple, quadruple whammy we do it with everything. But the reason why we do this comparison is because society does compare us. Think about many of the ways that media talks about people, as it's always pitting one person against the other, comparing one to the other. This person looks great, but this person looks bad. This person is the pinnacle of what you should aim for, and this person is the worst. Everything is always a comparison, and so we as people learn that we should compare ourselves to others in order to determine whether or not we fit in or we don't. Whether or not we're doing what we're supposed to be doing or we aren't. But the problem with comparison is that no two people are alike and the people that we're comparing ourselves to are often comparing themselves to other people. So while we think, wow, they're the pinnacle of what everything, of what I could be with endometriosis, look what they've overcome and they've become this amazing pinnacle of everything that I can be. I should strive for that. Meanwhile, they're thinking I'm suffering. And if only I were like that person, <laughs> I could be the pinnacle and everything never, I've ever dreamed. It's never enough. And No, that, it's not. It's
0: It's truly, truly never enough. And that is one of the things that I have learned in exploring how to live well with endometriosis and just with my life in general is that it's never enough. It's Oh, great. Now I can do this, but I need to do this other thing. Oh, I look this way and that's great, but now I need to look this way. It's like the goalpost is always changing. And when we hit the goalpost, we just oftentimes instantly moving the goalpost and striving for the next best thing and the next best thing. And I think chronically in our culture, it's a culture of insatisfaction and a culture of always wanting more. And so it's just natural that we're always
1: comparing ourselves and wanting more but it's not helpful to us yeah we shouldn't allow the way that other people operate or and commentary on social media but the way that people appear to operate in their carefully curated feed we shouldn't allow that to set the bar for how we operate so we get to decide at what threshold we consider ourselves disabled we get to decide at what threshold we consider ourselves sick or chronically ill we get to decide at what threshold is too much and what threshold is our, our finish line. We get to determine that. And we shouldn't look to external sources to help us decide where that is for all of us because it's different for every single person. And it's okay for it to be different for every single person because it can't be the same for us because our experiences are not the same. And that's one of the most important parts of understanding disability Is that no two people are alike and no two experiences are alike, and that's why it solely is up to us on how we feel about it, how we identify with it, and how we interpret it.
0: When my mind says to me, "You're not disabled enough" or "You're not sick enough," I love to now retort to my mind. So I'm having a little conversation with my mind in my mind, and I love to retort to my mind and be like, "Okay, I'm not sick enough. What does it matter? Why do I need to be sicker? First of all, I don't want to be sicker. Like." right it's like oh you're not sick enough well i don't want to be sicker and i'm not trying and to win also, a, i'm not trying to win a sick contest over here and what is
1: sick enough exactly like, am i not sick
0: enough what is sick enough I for have you to, do i have to be in the hospital do i have to be like having surgery every day what makes a person sick enough because i'm pretty sure while well, i'm saying to myself oh i'm only sick for 2 weeks of the month instead of 4 so i'm not sick enough then my perfectly healthy non-disabled partner is going oh poor amy she's so sick two weeks out of the month that's half the year that's half the month right so while we're saying oh i'm not sick enough someone else who is not sick comparatively is like they're so sick oh god yeah. it's a tragedy that amy has endometriosis the medical model of disability coming in there oh it's a tragedy amy has endometriosis oh it is donate to my paypal fund please <laughs> you're right it is a, a tragedy. tragedy me <laughs> it is a tragedy pay up please <laughs> no, but when our minds are telling us that it's not enough or when they're saying like, oh, you're so sick, you're never going to find someone who will love you. or you're so sick, you're a burden. It's like, OK, so at what level will I be not sick enough for someone to love me when I'm perfectly healthy or when I'm just a little bit less sick? It's like we're not there to say where the bar is. But the our threshold can't be determined. It's too ambiguous. It's, it's not determinable. And it's not real because the truth is there is no, you're not sick enough. Although our minds say that and society says that and so many people around us say you're not disabled enough or you don't look disabled or you don't look sick. There is no, this is what sick looks like. There is no. It's
1: not quantifiable. It's all
0: made up. Exactly. There is <laughs> it's no. It's all
1: our own concoction. perception.
0: Yeah. There is no this is how you have to be in order to be sick, or this is the age you have to have, or this is the appearance. There's none of that. That's just all stuff that's that's just all lies that's coming from our minds. And I think realizing that for me and just saying like, I don't need to oscillate from one extreme to the other. I can just say, this is where I am. There are some days when I'm sick and I can't get out of bed. There are some days when I can get out of bed and I can go for a walk in the mountains. That's my life and and
1: that's how it is. And and that's and that's it. Yeah, you can be both. Something we've talked about in previous episode is living in the gray and how you can be both at the same time. I can both be very sick and sometimes not as very sick. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be I'm very sick or I'm not. You can actually live both in the gray. It doesn't have to be black and white. And it's hard to live there because it feels ambiguous, but the made-up values are also ambiguous because there's no quantifiable to that. There's no quantifiable number to that spectrum or that range. It is just that, a spectrum, and we can oscillate from day to day.
0: And I really think that this is where learning about internalized ableism is really vital to us as people with disabilities, as people with chronic illness, because so many of these beliefs and negative attitudes that we have about ourselves and about disability can come from this internalized negative attitudes that society is putting forth consciously and subconsciously. Be it through commentaries that we hear personally directed at us, be it through commentaries that we hear on the news from our doctors, on the TV, on the radio, from other people talking about other situations and circumstances. With internalized ableism and that medical model of disability that the person, a disabled person, is something to be pitied and fixed, then when we're saying to ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm so sick that no one will ever love me. That's playing into that aspect that, yeah, disabled people, people with chronic illness, we don't deserve a place in this world. That's what the medical model is saying. we need to be fixed, we're not normal we're we're in inconvenience, we're deficient, and that's not true and then, on the other hand, when we're saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm not sick enough or I'm not disabled enough once more, it's that internalized ableism of this is what a disability looks like, and those assumptions and that stereotype, so if I'm not fitting in that stereotype of what a disability is or sickness is, then I must not be sick enough. And so, to be honest, at the root of
1: it all, I'm just seeing internalized ableism everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Well, and that's why we're going to talk about ableism in a full episode, because it's so interwoven in how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And understanding and tackling our own internalized ableism helps not only us but it helps the people in our community and it helps people outside of our community to feel like they have the support and the space to breathe and hold their identities and and be seen for what and who they are and that's why unpacking any internalized issues like internalized ableism are so important because we don't realize how much they actually shape how we see who we are and when we see ourselves a certain way, we see others who are similar to us a certain way. And if we don't allow space for everybody to be uniquely who they are, we lose out on special moments and special learning opportunities from hearing people's unique perspectives. It's such an amazing and awesome thing to be able to hear people for who they are and learn from each other. Amy and I have been best friends for six and a half years, and we are very different people. And Amy and I learn something from each other every single day. We also have completely different worldviews and completely different lenses, and we unpack our internalized issues differently, and we unpack our internalized ableism differently. And being able to do that has allowed us to teach each other and to teach people in our lives, and allowed us to see ourselves in a different way. And that's why it's so important. And that's why we're going to spend a whole entire episode dedicated just to that. The real takeaway that we want to bring you with this
0: episode is that we as people with disabilities or people with chronic illness, we are not the problem. Society favoring non-disabled people is the problem. Society not making space for us is the problem. Lack of opportunity, lack of equity, negative attitudes towards people with disabilities, towards people with chronic illness, That is the problem. And so that's what I'm working on with myself right now, is holding that space for myself to say, you know what, I have a chronic illness. I have a disability. Yes, I'm different than the quote-unquote norm. I'm different from the general population. I have limitations in many major life activities. And that's just what it is. And I don't have to compare myself to other people. And I don't have to feel bad about it. And I'm certainly not broken. And I don't have to apologize for that. And I am allowed to take up space. I belong on this earth. You belong on this earth. We all belong on this earth. With disability, with chronic illness, with any of the other identities that we hold. We belong here. I don't need to prove anything to anyone, and you don't need to prove anything to anyone. What I'm finally realizing is that our fight isn't against our bodies, and our fight isn't against ourselves, but rather against the systems in place that favor non-disabled bodies, that don't allow us to get equal representation, equal care, and equal opportunity. That is where I'm going to put my fight from now forward, not against myself, but against the system that is holding us back and holding us down. So that ends our episode
1: for today, but not our fight against ableism. Absolutely not. (laughs) And next week we're going to talk about ableism is trash. (laughs) How ableism is trash, yes. And Amy and I warmly invite you to join us for that episode where we can explore what ableism means and how we see it in our society and how pervasive it is and what it means to exist in an ableist society. And I know that today we talked about a lot of things that may be really heavy or may be very confusing or overwhelming. I know when Amy and I first started this journey for ourselves, that's how we felt was a lot of conflicting feelings that we discussed in this episode about being enough or not enough. And this may be the type of episode it took Amy and I a lot to process what we learned when we started this journey and learning this information. So feel free to sit with it. Feel free to take some time to digest and really come to grips with how you feel. It can be shocking to consider ourselves something that we may previously have pushed to the side, whether due to societal understanding, belief systems, internalized ableism, and come to grips with maybe that that's something that we're actually experiencing. And that can be really hard and challenging to see. I know it was for us. So we invite you to have some time, spend some time to yourself thinking about this. And we always invite you to reach out to us with questions and comments and just thoughts that you have around this topic, because it is a really large conversation. It's a really deep conversation, and it's a very personal conversation for every single one of us. So thank you for joining us and listening to how we feel about this journey for ourselves. And we hope that it sparked some kind of self-exploration in you.
0: If you want to reach out to us, we would love that. We are on Instagram at In16YearsOfEndo. We are on the website In16Years.com. Thank you so much for listening and spending this time with us.